I'm Alec Hogg. I found that traveling South Africans tend to speak more openly. Perhaps it's a function of being away from home. But whatever the cause, it certainly adds an element of freshness to my interviews here in London. But forensic investigator Paul O'Sullivan falls outside of that generality. Whether we've been together in his Johannesburg office, a hotel near Heathrow Airport, or, as in this interview, a pub in central London, he's consistent. He speaks from the heart, shares what he knows, holds little back. South Africa's most famous private sector crime fighter is in London this week to support his friend Lord Peter Hayne. Hayne has uh, arranged a series of events to celebrate the centenary of Nelson Mandela's birth. We met last night, ahead of a well-attended DA Abroad event, and as you'll hear, the discussion quickly moves onto matters close to the corruption busting O'Sullivan's heart, like last week's apology from McKinsey, and why he and Hain are as determined as ever to force the global legal firm Hogan Lovells to break cover and admit its role in South Africa's state capture saga. Fascinating as ever. Paul O'Sullivan, back in London. What are you doing here this time? Hi, Alec. Well, I could say I was here for Wimbledon, but I wasn't. And I could also say I was here for the World Cup, but I wasn't. So I was actually here uh, to assist Peter Hain um, and participate in the Nelson Mandela centenary, which, as you know, his birthday was the... It's tomorrow. Yes, mm. it's 18th of uh, July in... 28, uh, 1918, so tomorrow is 100 years, yeah. And I must say, I had a very nice uh, week. I've been busy with a lot of events over that, and this morning we we were we had the pleasure of the company of um, Harry and Meghan, and, um, you know, uh, I must say they're lovely people, make a nice couple together, and they came there and they participated in the official launch of the Nelson Mandela Centenary, which is at the South Bank Centre. It'll be running for a month, and we got a, a great sponsorships from various companies, <clears throat> and the sponsorships have enabled that exhibition to be shown to the public free of charge, which means thousands of people can go there, hopefully the younger people, because I think people your age and my age, we all know what Nelson Mandela did for South Africa, but I, I would like to see the younger people going there. In fact, I've arranged already a, full, uh, a few school trips. Now, unfortunately, the timing isn't great because the school holidays start... Mm. Friday, I think. Yes. The school holidays start on Friday, but I've arranged half a dozen schools already to go through there tomorrow and the next day, so... Uh, great That's exciting. fabulous. Yeah. I didn't take you for a royalist, though. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a royalist, but you know, if you set aside what they are and look at who they are, they're yeah. very nice people. Um, so, yes, I wasn't all that keen to be seen um, with them. Uh, as you know, I'm Irish originally, although I'm now a royal South African, and the Irish were suppressed by the British for 700 years. But let bygones be bygones. Uh, Queen Elizabeth 
as you know, and most of the remainder of the royal family have all visited Ireland in the last couple of years and indeed laid wreaths um, to the men and women of the IRA that passed away fighting the British. So I think uh, history is history, you know. We can't change history, but what we can do is look forward and not backwards. So I, I think the royal family, they probably have a place in society and, and good luck to them. Well, recent history, we were together a week ago today in, in Johannesburg when McKinsey, yes. uh, chief executive, he'd been in, in his job for just a week, Kevin Sneeder, issued an apology. You weren't terribly impressed. No, I wasn't impressed. I met with him after the so-called apology, um, and I, I shook his hand as a human being would, um, but I made it clear to him that I wasn't happy. Um, I also sent him an email, which I think you published, where I said that this was a fake apology, and what they really needed to do is deal with the issues uh, that, that brought about this state of affairs. And in my opinion, that includes dealing with um, the criminal charges. Now, they are in possession of a lot of information which is not in the public domain. And in my opinion, what they need to do is they need to open a criminal docket. They need to be the complainants in a criminal docket against those members of McKinsey's staff who were engaged in bringing Trillium uh, into the picture, which amounted to nothing more than corruption. You can't have a 1.6 billion rand deal where 600 million gets siphoned off to a company that does actually nothing. McKinsey has said it will repay the money that it earned in fees, but I guess the big question is what happened to that 600 million the trillion got? Yeah, I well, think, Gupta's, you know, if one looks at it, I think they've got, I don't know how many partners around the world, but if you look at the billion rand, it's less than $1,000 per partner around the world. That's peanuts. What they really need to do is pay back the 600 million rand as well. Under their watch, ESCOM was brought to its knees. Now, and they got paid a billion rand. Okay, so they pay back the billion rand. We want the 600 million back. We also want compensation. I think they have to be, uh, they have to be brought to the table. And the compensation doesn't need to be cash. They can give some time and energy in management services to assist in the recovery from state capture. Yeah, I, I was very surprised at the way that Snida handled it. And just to throw a bunch of something at you. He, he started off by saying, Mia culpa, I'm sorry. He ended off by saying, I'm sorry. But in between, there, was, there is no corruption at, uh, well, at yeah. McKinsey and so on. He, he kind of one of the, didn't go as One of enough. the sore points for me, Alec, was he made an admission there that they had looked at all the documents, so many emails and blah, 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 and they could find no evidence of wrongdoing. What of corruption is it? Yes. And in my opinion, they should have invited somebody from the outside to look at that. And they said they commissioned a law firm, Norton Rose. Yeah. Now, if they commission them to do a report, publish the report. And you know, um, you can say Norton Rose may have been commissioned to do something, but they might have only been provided with so much information. What's needed is a proper forensic investigation. And I'd love to get, you know, I'd roll my sleeves up and get stuck in free of charge just to get to the bottom of it. But I have absolutely no doubt in my mind whatsoever. When you see the way they treated Budlender with so much disrespect, 
And so what they've apologized to him, that's irrelevant. The fact of the matter is Bud Lender wanted to expose this and they did not cooperate with him and they tried to pretend everything they did was right. It wasn't, it was wrong. What was your reception like from Kevin Smeader? Well, <clears throat> you know, I suppose he was also uh, playing a gentleman. But we need to go back before Kevin Snyder. SAF invited me to their office. SAF's the head of uh, McKinsey in, in South, South Africa. Africa. Yeah, he invited me to their offices um, a couple of months ago with Alta um, and a couple of others. And I frankly never heard so much bulldust in my whole life. They sat there and explained how they wanted to help South Africa by giving us best practice in fighting corruption. And I said, no, I don't need that. We don't need McKinsey's to show us how to fight corruption. All we need McKinsey's to do is to put the facts on the table, own up for what they've done. An apology isn't enough. They need to own up for what they've done, and they need to put the evidence on the table so we can send their partner to prison. McKinsey have said they're sorry. Hogan Lovells, a legal firm that you've been aggressively attacking, have brazened it out thus far anyway. What's an update there? Well, Hogan Lovells, their, their strategy, it, you know, they all have a strategy. What, what Hogan Lovells have been doing is part of a strategy. They have a game plan, and I'm pretty sure that's documented somewhere. And they've all sat around the table and they've said, this is how we're going to handle this issue. Hogan Lovells, their strategy is to play dead. They are not giving anything away. They refuse to participate in any public discussion on the matter. They threatened Peter Hain, as you know. They said to him, oh, say what you've said in, in the public domain and we'll take action against you. So I encouraged Peter at a public meeting to say exactly the same as he said in the House of Lords. And they've taken no action against him. And I've invited them to take action against me, which they, they haven't got the guts to do because they know that taking action against me will result in a discovery process which will bear the, the dark underbelly of, of the Hogan Lovells slash Minister of Police slash Head of Hawks um, relationship, which was wholly unlawful. And I've pointed out time and time again that Hogan Lovells were unlawfully engaged by the Minister of Police and the then Head of Hawks, who himself was unlawfully appointed. The courts found that the appointment of Nklemerza was unlawful. So an unlawfully appointed person unlawfully appointed Hogan Lovells to unlawfully prolong his unlawful appointment. And I'm saying the whole thing is shocking and it needs to be exposed. If it wasn't for the conduct of Hogan Lovells, Nklemerza and Lerko, the issues around state capture uh, would have surfaced a lot sooner and criminal action would have been taken. Hogan Lovells assisted in neutralizing the DPCI slash Hawks. And they did this because that was what they were instructed to do. So they took down Anwar Dramat, they took down Shadrach Sabir, they took down General Boyson, and they also neutralized IPID because they, they pursued uh, a case against Robert McBride. So they were part of a strategy by criminals in government to capture this, the criminal justice system, and they succeeded. And even today, it's still not been uncaptured. Paul, we saw what happened with Bell Pottinger. They, they brazened it out until the pressure started coming from the UK. 
And then you had Gupta Leaks, which completely put them to bed. Yeah. Hogan Levels has not yet hit the British media, certainly not in a big way. Uh, Peter Hayne has done his bit. Is that, though, what it's going to take? Is it going to take investigations in their heartland, in, in their headquarters, to start shaking that ship? Because so far they seem to have uh, believed what's going on in their South African office and, and well, not worry. you know, Alec, let's look at, you've got Medici... Uh, Lavery or Lavery Medici in South Africa playing dead. You've got Susan Bright in the UK playing dead. These people have put their head in the sand like the proverbial ostrich and hope that when they take their head out of the sand, everything, the coast will be clear. It won't be. So, as a result of their uh, refusal to come clean, I'm building up a head of steam. And when this steam train gets going, they're not going to stop it. And we, I'm not going to, 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 to publish what we're doing right now, but I can absolutely assure everybody that listens to this podcast that um, Hogan Levels will be held accountable. And the rest of the, the moves against state capture, do we just have to be patient? Well, the problem we have, Alec, is you can't uncapture and deal with the people that were involved in state capture until the criminal justice system is uncaptured. We heard last week that Jiba and Mawebi were allegedly cleared by the Supreme Court of Appeal. Well, that's now going to the Constitutional Court. And what the judges in that appeal court judgment failed to do, the ones that, that I mean, Jeremiah Shongwe is actually the, the, the uncle of Edward Zuma. He should have recused himself. He shouldn't have sat in judgment on a case like that. And the other fellow was a chap by the name of Suriti. He shouldn't have been sitting there. There were five of them. So if you take those two out of the equation, the odds were then uh, against um, uh, Jiba and Mawebi because of the three remainders, two were very vocal in finding against Jiba Mwebi. So I think the whole thing needs to go to the Constitutional Court. It needs to be resolved there. And if it can't be resolved there, the thing needs to be heard de novo. In other words, uh, judges who haven't got a conflict of interest. How on earth can you have the uncle of Edward Zuma sitting in judgment over the appointment of Jiba Mwebi, who were put in their positions by Jacob Zuma? The thing just doesn't hold together. Well, Talking to people in South Africa, there's, there's those who support you and believe that you're a, a, a fighter for justice and a crusader. There are those who say you're stone mad. I think you've got to be a little bit mad to be doing the work that you're doing, given the, the, um, the uh, position that you put yourself in. No, I don't uh, think so, Alec. You know, the people that say I'm stone mad is because they haven't got the guts to stand up to the injustices that have taken place in South Africa. In that case, Nelson Mandela was stone mad. Um, so was Thabo Mbeki. So was Andrew Malangani. You know, there were so many mad people. But, you know, justice prevails. And at the end of the day, I don't care what people say about me. The, the fact of the matter is, everything that, to date, I have said has turned out to be true. So nobody uh, has caught me out on that. 
And at the end of the day, all the fake cases that were brought against me and the multiple arrests, my staff being arrested, officers being raided all the time, none of that has borne fruit for the criminals out there. So I think at the end of the day, um, if uh, believing in your country and standing up for your country means you're mad, then I'm happy to be mad. So what's next? No, what I need to do is finish what I've started. So I want the criminal justice system to be uncaptured. You can't have a man like Sean Abrahams running the National Prosecuting Authority. One minute he wants to charge Gordon, and the next minute he wants to let him off the hook. And now he pretends to be going after Suma. And the whole thing is a, a fake. It's a charade. Sean Abrahams belongs in prison. And the people that have assisted him, people like Jiba Mawebi, and the, look at this fellow Tory Pretorius. I mean, what a piece of work that guy is. He is the one that now allegedly was responsible for the charging of Gordhan. Meanwhile, uh, Sean Abrahams, when Gordhan was being charged, was quite happy to stand up and claim that he was behind it. And then suddenly when they realized the wheels were coming off, he blames Tory Pretorius. Tory Pretorius has got no guts whatsoever. He should resign his position and leave the National Prosecuting Authority. Suma has messed up the police, the Hawks, the National Prosecuting Authority, and the Secret Service. He put this guy, the, the Minister of Happy Endings. What's his name? McLobo, David McLobo. He put him in charge of the Secret Service. He put all these people in their positions for one reason and one reason only, that they would protect him and his cabal whilst they stole South Africa. Now the wheels are coming off. Things are going to change. Unfortunately, the progress, the change is taking too long. So, you know, things are going to happen. Um, we have a number of actions lined up. I'm not going to go public with them right now, but we have a number of actions lined up and we're going to go with them. promised you it'd be interesting, didn't I? Well, that was Paula Sullivan of South Africa's crime-fighting NGO Forensics for Justice. This has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.